0: Good morning. Good morning. Hey, if you guys don't mind, I just, I just feel like that Jesus deserves a little more praise from us this morning. Come on. Can we praise him in this place? He's worthy. He's worthy. Come on. I, I didn't say the hogs are worthy. I, I didn't say, I said Jesus is worthy. Come on. Look, somebody's, somebody's ready to praise him. Come on. I didn't say our government's worthy. I didn't say, I said Jesus is worthy. He's the king of kings, the Lord of the lords. Ha. All right, y'all sit down and shut up. I got some stuff to do this morning. I'm just joking. I'm feeling good though. I'm wearing my tropical shirt, you know, living that salt life. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 51. We're going to be hanging out. Psalm 51, Bibles, Bible apps, however you want to look at this. We may or may not put it on the screens for you, but since you have your Bibles memorized, I'm sure it won't be a problem. We live in a culture where uh, we've figured out there's a lot of things in our diet that people are allergic to. How many of you have some sort of food allergy in your life? Anybody have a food allergy in your life? Uh, we've had a couple of our kids that have worked through some food allergies, and what we've figured out is the biggest thing with food allergies is it just means you're going to spend five times more on groceries, typically speaking. It just gets really, really expensive. It's funny that when you take things out, you pay more for stuff, you know. But but there's there's a lot of things that we figured out that are that are in our diets and uh, that. That apparently we're we're allergic to, and we have these issues. But I did find something. Do you know what you call something that is gluten free, dairy free, soil free, casein free, sugar free, fat free? It's called water. And uh, and you can buy it at Whole Foods for twelve dollars, so you can get it there. But there's there's been this trend over the last few years uh, called guilt free. Okay, there's th- this this is. This is like a real thing, like a real trend line. It started back probably in 2016 or so. And it's like this, this movement to try to live without any kind of guilt. And so a lot of people try to you know, capitalize on this with guilt-free products. Guilt-free brownie mixes. I'm sure that tastes delicious. Uh, there's guilt-free cookbooks. There are guilt-free doggy biscuits. I don't know about you, but our dog has never been guilty, felt guilty about eating anything. Like she, she'll just, there's no guilt there. There's a, a, there's a site for guilt-free homeschooling, but it doesn't work, I promise. We tried it, it doesn't work. Uh, there is a site for guilt-free fossil fuels. I don't know how that works, but uh, there's, there's articles about saying no to people and being guilt-free about it. Some of y'all need to check that out. Uh, There's a blog post about guilt-free shopping sprees. Come on, ladies. Come on, guilt-free. I'm kidding. That's a lie. There is no such thing. There's no blog about that because there's never a guilt-free shopping spree. Uh, But today, I want to talk about actually being guilt-free. Uh, you can tell just by trends like this, like the world is really interested in being able to to relieve itself from this idea and this pressure of, of feeling guilt. Although we know that the only way you can do that is through Jesus. But I do find that even people that love Jesus still struggle with guilt. And so we're gonna read through Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, one of the heroes... Of the faith. One of the most well known heroes of the faith, David, is struggling with guilt. Uh, He's carrying this guilt. And he's made some really big mistakes. Uh, I I would venture to say that the mistakes he's made is probably worse than anyone in the room. And he's carrying this, this hero of the faith, a man after God's own heart. And so we're going to go through this and talk about how we can get rid of our guilt. And I want to let you know, as we walk through this, my goal is not to beat you up. My goal is not to weigh you down. It's the opposite. It's to lift weights off of you. The truth is, if the enemy can't take you out completely, he will a lot of times just try to paralyze you and paralyze your purpose by using guilt. He'll just try to immobilize you to a place of ineffectiveness by using guilt. Everyone deals with guilt. We're all in this together. Everyone has made mistakes and will continue to make mistakes. But the truth is this. If we don't deal with our guilt, then our guilt will wind up directing our lives. It'll wind up steering the course of who we are. So some context for Psalm 51. Uh, David is the chosen king of Israel, although he didn't get to become king right away because Saul, the the king that was in place, uh, was determined that he was going to hang on to that power. Uh, Saul gets pretty cray-cray, starts uh, chasing uh, David all over the place, hunting him down. Eventually, uh, Saul is just completely overwhelmed by evil spirits and stuff. Eventually, Saul kills himself. uh, David becomes king, uh, and then David is just an amazing king, like Hashtag winning, doing amazing, winning all these battles, all this stuff. But then eventually he makes this horrible decision. And one year, as all the armies are going out to fight, okay, there's actually seasons in the Middle East. It, this still happens. There's still there's seasons of fighting. Okay. So typically after winter and after the crops have been planted, that's when all the kings and their armies would go out to fight. And so David is supposed to be out with his army and fighting, but he made the decision not to go out and fight. And so instead, he is at home. And one afternoon, after a power nap, he decides to get up and take a walk on the roof of his palace. And as he's walking on the roof of his palace, he sees a woman bathing on top of her rooftop. That's where they used to bathe. They used to bathe on the rooftop. So he sees this woman Bathing on the rooftop, and he's like, hey, I want somebody to go and find out her name. Not because he really wanted to know her name. Let's just get that clear. He had some other motives in mind. So he sees this woman, and the woman's name is Bathsheba. Has anyone ever found it weird that her name is Bathsheba? Like, Bath is actually in the name. Anybody else found that? Like, to me, that's like, if I go to my kids, like, hey, kids, what are you doing? Like, oh, we're making up a story. Oh, what's, what's the story about? It's about a cat and a mouse. Oh, yeah, well, what are, what's the cat and mouse's name? Catsy and mousy. Like, it's just like, it's just, it's interesting. Like, I, I don't know if, like, her parents are like, and we shall call her Bathsheba. She will be known for taking baths. Like, I don't know, like, anyway, moving on. Uh, so there's this lady, Bathsheba, and, and David makes a very poor decision, kids. And, and because of that poor decision, Bathsheba gets pregnant. And so now David's got a major issue because Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, he's out fighting like David should be doing. But Uriah is not just one of David's soldiers. Uriah is one of David's 30 mighty warriors, like his inner circle, uh, you can read about it in Second Samuel, so he's not just—he's like, he's one of David's guys. And so David finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant, and so he's like, "Man, what am I going to do?" So he like tries to have Uriah come back and like, "Hey, you should go spend some time with your wife," you know. And 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 Uriah is so committed and so dedicated to the purpose of Israel and fighting the battle that he won't even go and spend time with his wife because he knows his men won't be able to do that with their wives and so he won't even do that. So now David's got this problem and his solution is this, to put Uriah on the front lines of the battle so that Uriah gets killed and that's what he does. So David commits adultery and then tries to cover up adultery with murder. That's the context. And then Nathan, the prophet, comes and he confronts David. Side note, we all need to be confronted from time to time. And when he confronts David, David is totally exposed. And that's what's happened right before Psalm 51. So we're going to read quite a bit of this, 17 verses, but I want you to track Psalm 51, starting in verse one, says this, "'Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you, and you alone have I sinned.'" Now, is that the truth? Like, did he only sin against God? Well, I mean, he's really messed up a lot of people's lives. But I do think that this is a very, very important point to make. You see, the fear of the Lord always has to be much greater than your fear of man. And when you understand the fear of the Lord, you understand it's like, yeah, I I may have made some mistakes and my mistakes are going to affect other people. But at the end of the day, you know what it affected the most? It affected my identity in Christ. It It affected who I am in him. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. I love that. Isn't that amazing? How God is already speaking truth and purpose into the womb. There was ever a pro-life verse. That's one of them. That's for sure. He goes on to say, Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God and renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would have offered you one. You didn't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. So what do we see in Psalm 51? Uh, First thing we can see clearly is the torment of guilt. The torment of guilt. Anybody ever felt or experienced a torment of guilt before? I know I have. So guilt can be something you bring on yourself, uh, uh, and that's the case with David, or it can also be something that other people put on you. Either way, it's this heavy thing. It's this invisible weight. The other day I had a phone conversation with someone that I hadn't seen in, in over 10 years. And uh, it was a young man that, that I, I mentored a long time ago, and you know, he's since moved off and started a life, uh, wife and kids, and but had been struggling for some time. And as we were just kind of talking through catching up and and talking about the things that were affecting him. Uh, he just he said, I asked him, How, how's your time in the word been? You know he said, honestly, I just really haven't been in the word. And I said, okay, well, I, I mean, I, I, that makes sense. That's probably a, a pretty big contributing factor to why you're not doing well. And he said, well, I, I, every time I go to read the word, I just feel guilty that I haven't been in the word as much as I should be. And I was like, you know, that's just like the devil to do something like that. Like the the very thing that can actually bring some truth into the situation that he's walking through and the circumstance he's dealing with, the enemy has convinced him because he wasn't reading the Bible enough that he's guilty of not reading the Bible, so he shouldn't read the Bible. And I just wanna speak to that because I've been in those seasons where reading the word of God became a very religious thing or very repetitious religious part of my life. Um, But but until I kind of had a personal revelation, what is the purpose of the word? The purpose of the word of God is to build relationship and intimacy with his sons and daughters. It was actually never God's intention to have to have the Bible. When you read in Genesis, God was really happy just being able to walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve and have open conversation with them. It was sin that made it to where we had to have this so that we could still hear from God. But God never intended for this to become something that would keep us from communicating with him if we didn't always felt like we understood it or read it as much as we should read it. And I find that a lot of times, especially Christians, get really good at shooting on themselves. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I I should be praying more. I should be reading more. But but then you lose the whole point of all of it anyway. And that is God just wants to spend time with you and talk to you and for you to talk to him. But he was carrying this guilt. Verse 8 says, you have broken me. The NIV says it this way, let the bones you have crushed rejoice again. Psalm 32.3 says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. You ever felt that because of your guilt? So some things about guilt. Guilt saturates the mind. That's the first place. The enemy will always attack you, is in your mind. And David's mistakes, his failures, they're heavy on his mind. This young man I was talking to a few days ago, that's where he was getting defeated, was in his thoughts, in his mind. Now, there, there, it is possible for those that are not believers to do things and never feel any kind of guilt. It's certainly possible for those that don't have a relationship with Jesus to not feel conviction. But those that have been given who have given their lives to Jesus, we are promised the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one that brings that conviction to us. And conviction will always draw you to God, it'll restore you to God. And some of you need to pray for more conviction in your life. But guilt will always draw you away from God. Guilt will eat you up, and it'll always start in your mind. Guilt stings the conscience. God speaks a lot of times through our conscience. Our conscience is this inner sense of right and wrong. It's a moral compass. Our, our conscience helps us kind of have this gut feeling when we're getting off track. And Paul said it this way in Acts twenty four sixteen. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. In Romans 9, 1, he said, my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. But here's what I've also noticed. When I ignore my conscience, it also kind of goes into like a comatose state where our heart begins to harden and it damages our relationship with God and our ability to hear from him. Guilt saddens the heart. David said, I want my joy back. He was sad. He doesn't say, give me my salvation back. He didn't lose that. But what he said is give the joy of my salvation back. I've seen so many people live this way. Believers, look, you can be saved and not enjoy the journey. And a lot of times people are not enjoying the journey because they're full of guilt in spite of their salvation. Guilt sickens the body. So my body wastes away, my strength evaporated and I have seen guilt lead to anxiety, depression, other major emotional issues. Sometimes people deny the guilt they feel and they just try to stuff it and live with it. Because sometimes people feel like living with guilt is easier than dealing with it. Guilt sours the spirit. Guilt, unconfessed sin, makes you cranky and irritable. When you're really close to someone, you can tell when they've got some stuff they need to deal with because they are cranky. They're not easy to be around. It's certainly the case with kids. I mean, I've seen this with our kids. I I always know when they got some stuff going because they're just mean to everybody. It's cranky all the time because guilt sours the spirit and also very damaging guilt seals the lips. How hard is it to pray? How hard is it to worship when you're dealing with guilt? Like you don't deserve to. And uh, man, that's a major way the enemy he will have you. Because if your guilt has shut down your faith and your faith has closed your mouth, then you cannot have a declaration of truth. And the enemy cannot read your thoughts. He can only introduce thoughts and try to influence your actions through those thoughts. And so he's only gonna be able to perceive the words that you say and the way that you live. And if he shuts down your ability to declare truth, he's all but won the battle. Another thing we can see in Psalm 51 is this ownership of sin. The ownership of sin. We're all born, (laughs) I think, with this, Uh, this inability just to be honest about when we make mistakes, right? The thing is, like I mentioned, like with our kids, we can always tell when they've done something wrong. Like every kid has this look and it starts at a very young age. I mean, all of us, when you had babies in the house, you could look at your baby and you could tell When they were filling their diaper with something that you knew you were going to have to clean up. There's just a look on their face. Like they're just happy and all of a sudden she's like. And that doesn't change as they get older. But eventually we just get better and better at concealing when we've made a mistake. Isn't that unfortunate? You know, I think when Jesus said that he would like for us to come to him like little children, he doesn't just mean their innocence. He also means just their authenticity. Like I really wish that you would all just come to me when you're guilty and it would just be really obvious (laughs) that you're guilty. But not only do we get really good at concealing, but we also get really good at trying to cover and our kids will do this. Did you hit your brother? No, I did not hit him. I touched him very hardly. It was a very hard touch. Didn't hit him. Hard touch. Well, I'm going to have to hard touch your behind now. (laughs) Proverbs 28, 13 says this. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess it and turn from them, they will receive mercy. I love that David just stops trying to cover up his sin and he lays it before the Lord. The enemy dwells in darkness and secrets. He, he loves those places. But there's no secrets with God. There's really nothing safe about secret sin. But I love that David, he didn't have entitlement issues. I mean, he was the king. This is in the Bible. David wrote it. We all know, but I love that he doesn't try to play the blame game. He's just exposed and humbled. He, he, he owns up to his mistakes. Psalm 32, five says this. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. There's just so much power In the words, I'm sorry. And and just a a major parenting tip when you blow it with your kids, when you mess up, the strongest thing that you can ever do, the most healing, the most powerful thing that you can ever do is simply say to them in full sincerity and honesty, I'm sorry. And what makes it even more powerful is when you can tell them why you're sorry. That you see it, you understand it. David owns his sin, he confesses sin. But the thing is, the enemy's always whispering, look, you can hide this. You can hide this. And then he'll even give you like really logical, justified reasons why you should hide stuff. But when we confess our sins to God. Really, all we're doing is we're just, because God already knows, we're just agreeing with God. <laughs> we're just agreeing with God. Yep, I rebelled against you. We agree with God that we've messed up. So just to put it simple, here's how you deal with guilt. Confess your sins to God. First John 1.9 says this, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And then, a lot of us, we don't have an issue doing that. But after that, confess your sins to one another. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And then also in Psalm 51, we see this incredible importance of transparency. Just being transparent, being real. I've shared this before, but sometimes I'll be hanging out. It's actually happened to me yesterday. But I'll be hanging out around people that don't really know me, and they don't know what I do. Right? And so we're just kind of hanging out. And it's not uncommon that eventually, you know, at one point or another, they may cuss. And I was hanging out around a couple of people yesterday. And within, within probably 10 minutes of being around them, they didn't know who I was or what I did. But they're dropping F-bombs and all this kind of stuff. And then eventually it gets into the, the, this point of the conversation when they're, you know, talking about their work and everything. And they're like, James, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. And like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, their minds are like, oh, I said a lot of words that pastors don't typically say. <laughs> But right after that, a lot of times, man, that just opens the floodgates of transparency. Then all of a sudden, like, when I was a kid and I was in the fourth grade and I got beat up and they picked on me, and it's like, and I'm and I'm like, okay, cool. I just need to pay for my gas and go. But we can keep talking if you need to. That's fine. I love how David just turns to God. He's just honest. And verse 16 says, you don't desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice, I hope this gets into your spirit this morning. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. David knows he can't please God with his righteous acts. He he can't earn forgiveness. He knows he just needs to be himself with God, flaws and all. I'm just going to bring, and this is huge. Because when, when we mess up, we don't have a tendency to run to God with it. We may run a lot of other places. We may run to our spouse. We may run to our best friend. We may run to Netflix. We may run to our best friend Netflix. Some of y'all, come on, let's be honest. But it's hard sometimes to run to God. But your God is the most compassionate person. You know. One of his names is compassion. No one is going to show you more grace, more mercy, and more compassion than God. No one. No one. You may have a jacked up God picture in your head about what he's waiting to do when you finally come to him. But he's God. He already knows. But the truth is, no one will be more loving and compassionate and understanding about you and about your sin and about your mess up than God will be. You got to come to him. And also we see the hope of forgiveness, the hope of forgiveness. See David really he knows God, he actually knows his heart. I mean this is why God said he's a man after my own heart, meaning similar to his heart, but also pursuing his heart in psalm thirty two it says this all oh what joy for those." whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who record, who record the, sorry, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Colossians 2.14, he concealed the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Huh. Some of you, you may have had somebody like in your life that was really great at like covering your back. You know, I, I don't know how it was for you. Every once in a while, my brother and I would do this for each other, typically because we're in the middle of doing something stupid together, you know? But we just like make this, group like, I won't tell if you don't tell. <laughs> like, okay. You think they'll notice the shed is burned down? I hope not. We'll see, (laughs) you know. But I love this picture of God being that advocate. Like when you come to him and you're broken and you're repentant, where he kind of like takes that. He's like, don't worry about it. I got this. No one's ever going to see that again. You don't need to worry about it. I won't ever even see it again. In fact, what were we even talking about? I don't even remember. Huh. must not have been that big of a deal compared to the sacrifice of my son. There is no sin that is too great that God can't forgive. But when we hold on to our guilt... In a lot of ways, what we're saying is, Jesus, what you did is not enough. See, I was talking to this friend of mine the other day, and we were talking about, he has, he has three little kids. And so as we're walking through and we're processing through this guilt and this shame that he'd been carrying around, I, I, I just was trying to bring it into perspective. And I said, would you, would you go and look into your children's eyes? tell them that God would love them less because they're not reading the Bible enough? Would you go to someone that you love and that you care? Would you put the same amount of shame and guilt on someone you love that you have put on yourself? Would you do that? Of course the answer is like, I hope nobody ever says, yeah, I would totally do that to my kids. I would absolutely do that to my kids. That's never happened. Hopefully it doesn't. Because anybody with any kind of, even if we're not a great parent, like we don't want our kids to hurt. We don't want them to carry around shame and guilt. Why would God do that to you unless you just don't understand who God is? You just don't, you don't get how much he loves you. Or Sometimes it's like, The sacrifice of Jesus is enough for all their sins and for that sin and for, it's enough for those things. But not this one. This one, this one's a big one. It's not only not true, it also just doesn't make sense. Jesus came to declare the world not guilty. That's what he came to do. The world has to accept that. The world has to receive and just accept what he did. But his purpose in coming was to declare, you're not guilty. The problem is there's some of us maybe in this room and the reason why this sermon may not be completely connecting with you is because you're thinking this message is for the bad sinners in the room. You're, you're even sitting down the row from someone like, I hope they're listening to this this morning. You might have even ebbled them a couple times, you know. Hope they're listening. The truth is this, if you start measuring the badness of sins, you have a whole different problem. But the Bible makes it clear that we're we're all bad. We're all bad. We all need God's mercy. Every day of our lives, we're gonna need this. But I know without a shadow of a doubt, the word is completely clear. God wants you to be guilt-free. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Spirit of the living God. One of your names is great counselor, helper. And uh, I thank you that you're just here to meet with every one of us. I know that there's some believers in the room that they still struggle with this. I know that I certainly have in the process of my salvation, the process of my relationship with you. But Father, I pray that they would even just use this psalm. And maybe at one point or another, Lord, they can just come before you. And take out their Bible and read through this psalm and make it their own. That their mouths would open again and speak the truth of who they are in you. That their own spirit would be reminded of your love, your grace, and your forgiveness because of your son Jesus. There's probably at least a couple of you in this room right now, that maybe your your conscience is completely seared or or maybe you've just, you don't really even feel any guilt or all you feel is guilt all the time. And, and, And that could be because there's a chance you haven't actually surrendered your life to Jesus. And maybe you've done a lot of the Christian things. Maybe you've been really good at going to church. Maybe you try to throw up a prayer from time to time. And you know, the Bible's important, although it's never been a personal revelation of his love for you. There's, there's a chance maybe you just don't have relationship with Maybe you need to come back to Him wherever you're at. I know this, God doesn't want you to walk out of here with guilt this morning. God doesn't want you to walk out of here without a confidence and a hope and a faith that if for some reason your life ended today, that you wouldn't know that you're going to heaven, that you have a relationship with Him. He doesn't want you to live one more day, one more week, one more year without knowing that He has a purpose for you. He loves you, He sees you. And I just wanna give you an opportunity to let this be a place of salvation for you, where you would just be willing to admit that that you're a sinner and your sin separates you from Him. But if you'd also be willing to believe that because he sent his son, Jesus, the perfect sacrifice that died on the cross, but didn't just die, but he rose from the grave, which is so important because that means that your sin is defeated and death is defeated, which means you don't have to walk in fear of anything in your life, anything. And if you're willing to admit that, if you're willing to just say, yeah, I don't understand all the details, but right now I can tell that there's something that's telling me that I need this and I'm away from God and I don't want to be away from him anymore. And if you're in that place, everyone's going to honor this and they're not going to be looking around. But if, you're, if you'd be willing to admit to me and just between me, you and God, like that's me. And I'd love to just include you with this prayer. If that's you, go ahead and put your hand up. As soon as they see your hand, you can put it down. Like I said, I'm not gonna embarrass you, point you out, but if you know you're away from him, thank you, got you, thank you so much. Thanks for being brave. I know God is just putting his grace on you right now. Sense his presence. Anyone else? Yeah, I see a couple hands back there. Thank you guys. Anybody else? I'm just away from him. I need a relationship with him. I don't wanna live with any more guilt, any more shame. Got it. Thank you, buddy. Love that. This is a place of salvation for all ages. Anybody else? Okay. So if you, if you raise your hand, I just wanna kinda help lead you through this conversation with your heavenly Father. And if you can say this out loud, just loud enough for your own ears to hear, that'd be awesome where it says you you do need to to tell people about this. The best way to tell people about your faith in Jesus is through water baptism. But I encourage you, tell somebody as soon as the service is over, just say, hey, I wanna let you know I made a decision for Jesus today. But let's just talk to him. Just say this, you can repeat this. Just say, Heavenly Father, here's my life. I know that I've sinned. I ask that you forgive me. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. Thank you that he rose from the grave. My sin is defeated. Death itself is defeated. And now because I surrender to you as my Lord and savior, I have the hope of heaven, but I'll, 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 I also have this, this amazing promise of having a purpose in you that I can live in for the rest of my life. And I thank you that guilt is defeated. I can live guilt-free for the rest of my life so I can walk in the fullness of who I am in you. We thank you for that.